Father, that's our cry this morning. God, that's our prayer. God, we want you to be magnified in us, in our lives. So, Father, as a, as a church this morning, we just choose to submit to you. And we just say, be magnified in us. Change us, Lord, to make us more like you. God, that everywhere we go, that everything that we do, God, that we can become more like you. That we can share the goodness of who you are everywhere we go. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for your presence. And God, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts through your word this morning. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. We're going to begin today in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. John chapter 7 is taking place during the Festival of Booths. And one of the reasons for the Festival of Booths was an annual time for the, for the Jewish people to come together and, and just rejoice in the provision of God for them. And literally, they would build little booths, and they would stay in those little booths and little, little huts, little places of rest. And it would signify they're no longer out there in the wilderness. They're no longer in the desert. They're no longer wandering around. They now have a place. They have been provided for by the Lord. And they are satisfied in Him. Now, during the last day of that feast, uh, it says the great day, Jesus stood up and shouted during this festival. And He shouted, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me... As the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so this was a proclamation, a proclamation that Jesus is the satisfier. He's the provider. He's the nurturer of our soul. He's the one we should follow. He's the one that we trust because through Jesus we find life. We find truth, we find direction, we find what it's like to be loved by God and, and what love is all about through Jesus. Now, in verse 40, the scripture tells us, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ, but some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So there's a lot of struggle going on among the people about who Jesus is. The other officers then came in, the, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Has anybody been deceived? That's the mindset of the Pharisees. I mean, obviously, he's thrown some kind of spell over you officers or you would have brought him to me. 
you'd have brought him to us. And so obviously you've been deceived. Have any authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. This crowd that does not know the law is accursed. That's the position of the Pharisees. Obviously, this crowd that are considering that he's the prophet, that he's the Christ, obviously, they don't understand. Obviously, they're beneath us. Obviously, they're a lack, they lack truth. They lack understanding. And basically, because they don't know the law as we do, they're cursed. Now, the crazy thing is that in actual you know, in actuality, it's the Pharisees that are deceived. It's the Pharisees that are blind, but more of that to come. Nicodemus, it says in verse 50, who had gone to him before and who was one of them said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee to search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So this is their heart. We're the chosen. We're the knowledge. We're the understanding. We're the, we're the governor of the law. We're the decider. We choose. We're in the right place. We're on the right side of the law. We have jurisdiction over the souls of people. That's really what they're saying. And, and we are going to protect our turf. We're not going to allow anyone to invade our space. We have, we have the right direction. We have, we have the mandate from God. We're in the right place at the right time. We just can't let anybody take our turf because it's ours. And so they're holding on to their power. And they're going to prevent a prophet from coming onto the scene. Now, they're not aware of what they're, what they're saying really there. They're saying that, if the Messiah really does come, if Elijah comes and the, the Messiah does come, we're going to prevent it. That's really what they're saying, because we can't have a Messiah coming and us losing our turf, us losing our power, us losing our position. Now, between uh, verse uh, 752 and 753, you see in your scripture, little fine print that says the earliest manuscripts do not include 753 through 8 through 11. So all the scholars say that's accurate. That if you took the, let's say the, the oldest 50 manuscripts, the most reliable of the manuscripts, this would not be in there. And so it's rightly believed that the story that we're about to talk about came later. It was added to the scriptures later. That's, that's pretty clear. There's not even much to argue about that. That's exactly the truth. Now, the scholars of yesterday and today, of a hundred years ago and present day, even though they may all agree that this was not in the oldest of manuscripts, they pretty much all agree that it needs to be included. It needs to be part. And so it's rightfully the words of God. And, and some of their reasons for that is the story that is told here. The story paints a wonderful picture of Jesus. The story does not contradict the gospel, the good news, the truth about salvation, 
about the place and the purpose of Jesus, about the role of Jesus in the world. And it, it paints a wonderful, beautiful portrait for us here. And so it should be taught, it should be included, and, and we should be, uh, we should be uh, motivated by this story. This story really should influence us. This story helps us to check our Phariseeism, Phariseericalism, however you would say that. How much, of a, how much like a Pharisee are we? Do we have some of those Phariseeical tendencies? Are, are we more concerned with position than people? Are we more p- concerned with being right in our own minds than redemption? Are, are we more likely to condemn rather than rescue? Those are some good questions for us to consider as we look at this story. Now in verse 53, it says, they, they went each to his own house. But Jesus, he went up to the Mount of Olives. Now we don't know where he went. Maybe it was the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe it was another place where he would go and he would sit, where he would rest some, where he would pray. But he goes to the Mount of Olives. It says that early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. Now, this is really what the scribes and the Pharisees didn't like about Jesus. The people are not going to them. The people are going to Jesus. The people aren't aren't searching out the high priest. They're not looking for one of the scribes. They're not looking for one of these rabbis to teach them, to guide them, to talk with them. When Jesus is there, they all went to Jesus. And, and so you can, if you, in your mind's eye, just consider the temple, the big area and, and uh, a, a, a huge structure. And it's got a huge courtyard, the court of Gentiles, the court of the Jews. And so somewhere in there, somewhere where people gather, a large gathering space, Jesus comes in, sits down, and people see him, and they all gather around to talk with him, to listen to him, to hear him talk about the truth. And so you can just see the Pharisees standing in the back, seeing that and going, we got to put an end to this, Bubba. We've got to stop this. This is getting out of hand. This, This Jesus fella is gaining momentum. We can't have that. We can't have him, we can't have this nobody taking our show. We just can't have it happen. The scribes and the Pharisees, when he was there teaching the people in the temple area, mind that, in this temple area, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Wow, what a scene. Man, can you imagine that happening? Can you imagine the nerve of these scribes and these Pharisees? Can, can you imagine the mindset that they would have to have to do that to a person? To, to put them in a position where they're extremely embarrassed. To put them in a position where they are at no expense going to ruin her life for their own purpose. 
I mean, they're just not concerned about her at all. They're not concerned with her situation. It's not, it, it, this is not about condoning her sin because we will deal with that here in a minute. And there's no question about her sin. There's no question about adultery. And, and the, this is not fornication where uh, an unmarried person has sex before marriage. She, this is adultery. So clearly she's married and she commits adultery. And, she, and she's caught in the very act. And, and so as, as you know, uh, plain spoken as that is, you can picture what that scene was like wherever they found this lady. Now, you can, you can see that for this to take place, the Pharisee and the scribes are doing some scheming. They're doing said, what can we do to trap Jesus? What can we do to have him say the wrong thing and we have the witnesses so that we can arrest him for breaking religious law. We can find grounds. And, and man, you know, what can we do? So, well, you know, I, I watched oh, oh so-and-so uh, going into so-and-so's house. And we all know they're having a fling. And so probably about now, if we were to barge in, we may, we may find them engaging in relations and, and we'll catch her, we'll have her. And, and I, I think that's really how it happened. They all knew that these two were, were having a relationship. They all knew that it was outside of their marriage. And, and, and someone gave the intel that she was in, in there. She was in the guy's house or he was in her house or however that happened or wherever they were meeting. And they said, boy, this will be a good one. We, we, this, this will trap Jesus. This will... This will shut him up with all his love talk. This will shut him up with all his claiming to be the Messiah and all his claiming to be the one that's able to forgive people. We'll get him with this. And so they bring this lady caught in the very act of adultery and they place her in the midst. In other words, they, they put her out there for all to see. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him. That they might have some charge to bring against him. Wow. Can you imagine how intense this scene is? Can you imagine all the thoughts going through all the people's minds? Can you imagine this crazy pause between the Pharisees and Sadducees saying, Teacher, what do you say about this? The words of the law say that we should stone her. The laws of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say about this? And Jesus bends down and he writes on the ground. Doesn't say what he writes. It says that, that uh, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as he's writing on the ground, they continue to ask him. So what did he write on the ground? Just, we don't know. Some people have said that he wrote the names of the ladies that those Pharisees and Sadducees have had relations with. 
in unfaithfulness. Possible. Others say that that may not necessarily be the case, but uh, he wrote down sins that they had committed perhaps this very day. That perhaps could be it. We don't know what he wrote on the ground, but it was definitely a dramatic pause. And so when he's on the ground writing with his finger, they continue to ask him, and he stood up and he said to them, and, and this is the beautiful portrait. This is a portrait that beautifully explains the difference between religion and Jesus. It tells us the difference between the, the law of the Pharisees and the grace of the Lord. Jesus says, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Man, they went to trap him and he turned it on them. Now, in this scripture, not once did Jesus say, no, nah, adultery is okay. You guys are wrong about that. The new way is adultery is going to be okay. You can, have, you can have all the adultery you want and there's no problem with it. Jesus doesn't say that. But Jesus does say, let you, let those of you that are without sin. In other words, those of you who are perfect, you be the first to throw a stone at her. Oh. And then after he said that, he bends down once again and he writes on the ground. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, in verse 9, but when they heard it, Listen, listen to this. They went away one by one, beginning with the older one. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. The older ones caught it first and walked away. The older ones, the more mature ones, the older Pharisees, the older scribes, the ones who have been in office longer, the ones who have been studying longer, the ones who supposedly had more understanding than the younger ones, they heard it and realized that they had nowhere to go. And they turned away and walked away first. And so Jesus is left all alone with this woman. And He asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where are your accusers? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Neither do I condemn you. Now go, and from now on, sin no more. And so you've got a, you, you've got a three-phase portrait here of the difference between Jesus and the Pharisees. The first one is, the Pharisees were not aware of their own sin. And when we're following Jesus, we never go very far that we forget that we too are sinners. And, and those of us that understand that we are sinners, 
that we are as guilty as this woman who was caught in adultery. In other words, not only can we not throw stones at her, we can't reach down and pick up stones and throw it at her. Because we have sinned. And the only reason that we are right with God is through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so there is absolutely no room, no reason, no right that we have to ever be able to be a stone thrower. We can never, ever throw stones. The Pharisees are wanting to throw a stone. The Pharisees are wanting judgment. The Pharisees are condemners. But when we follow Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, when we understand that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, we have no right to pick up a stone and throw it at anybody. That's what Jesus is teaching us here in this story. Now, Jesus says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? That's a beautiful statement that Jesus makes. We had a gang here. We had a war here. We had a group here. We had a mob here, didn't we? They were out to get you, weren't they? They didn't care about you. They didn't really care about what you had done. They just wanted to use you to get to me. But they came to grips with the reality, with the sober truth, that they too are sinners. And, and they walked away one by one, the oldest first. And now it's just me and you. We stand here alone. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus does for us. He rescues us. He, lift, he reaches down and lifts us up symbolically. Puts us in a place of security. A place of refuge. Now, she was in a bad spot. She was wrong. She was, she was caught in the very act of sin. The law says you stone such people. She was there. But here Jesus comes and stands alongside her. That's the beautiful picture of grace. That's the beautiful picture of salvation that we have in Jesus. That Jesus comes and stands alongside sinners. And so not only does the Pharisees not have the right to pick up a stone, we also see the picture here that, that Jesus is our advocate. Jesus comes and stands alongside of everyone who's caught in the act of adultery. Speaking to them, encouraging them, helping them. And so as the picture of grace and the picture of love, that should be the mindset that we have that the opposite of being a Pharisee, the opposite of wanting to condemn is we want to rescue, we want to redeem, we want to support, we want to help, and we put ourselves in a position like Jesus to come alongside and, and be His instrument of redemption. That's what Jesus did here. He came and stood alongside of her. It's just them left. And she said, no one, Lord. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now go, 
Now just go. Just get up from here. Just, just move on. But from now on, sin no more. Now, in that statement, it's a short statement. It's a brief statement. He doesn't condone her sin. He just says, I don't condemn you. He says, go on, live beyond this and sin no more. And so she is touched by grace and she is given a, 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 a challenge to walk in freedom, to walk in changed life. Remember some weeks ago, we talked about that, that, that uh, Jesus, Jesus said to us, he never said that he didn't want us to change. And so we come and we, we embrace Christ. We're touched by his grace. We're touched by his love and his forgiveness. And it changes us from the inside out. And we go on free from the, the bondage and the chains of that sin. There is possibility now for this lady to move on beyond the stain and the guilt and, and, and the shame of her sin. And that's what Jesus does for us. So, you know, if, if you're considering Christ, if you're thinking about Jesus, if you're not quite sure, you know, you're wondering about all this Christianity thing, th this picture here clearly shows us the difference between the religious folks and Jesus. And, and it clearly shows us Jesus in his best, in his fullness, in, in sharing the grace. He set her free. It's a picture of love. It's a picture of mercy. It's a picture of grace. So, are we more like the Pharisee or are we more like Jesus? Are we stone throwers? Are we condemners? Or do we recognize that, man, without the grace of God, that is us. We are guilty. We deserve judgment. We deserve to be stoned. But by the grace and the mercy of our Christ, of our Lord, we've been set free from the condemnation. And we have the opportunity through Jesus. Every single person has the opportunity if they'll just heed it. If they just open up to it. To go and sin no more. To move forward. Holy direction. Not perfection. We understand that. That's not the idea that Jesus is laying out here. What he's laying out here is go in that right direction. Live free from the hold that the sin has on you. You know, I really do believe in Jesus. I really do believe He's the way, the truth, and the life. I really do believe that He has all the answers. I really truly believe that He is a satisfier. And I want you to know that it doesn't matter how big you think your sin is. It doesn't matter how much you think you've done. It doesn't matter how much... Uh, you have stacked up against being received by the Lord. Man, none of that is true. And if you just open up to Him and just give Him an opportunity, He will set you free just like He did for this lady. Grace, mercy, unconditional love. 
power to release us from our sin. Help us, Lord, to be open to the message of Jesus here, to just today celebrate the gospel, the good news, what Jesus has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.